Hey, that's cool. Isn't he such an enthusiast? You know, that's the nicest thing that's been said to me all year, young Alec. Yeah, I tell you. Hey, hey, cool. Thanks for that. Hey, it's, for me, it's a real privilege to speak to God's people. Uh, many of you know I was a pastor for a number of years, but I don't get many opportunities today, and it's just such a privilege. And um, so over the next two weeks, I want to speak about the power of one. I want to talk about two people who had a vision and left an indelible mark upon the future of their own people. They stood against the culture that they were involved in, but they did something special for God's people that made a huge difference. So I want to also ask the question about how can we live successfully and fruitfully as a church in a culture that's increasingly anti-God? So along the way, I particularly want to address people of leadership gifts, but be prepared to be challenged, inspired, and I warn you, I'll probably pop a few balloons as I go along. So I'd like to pray now, and uh, let's get into it. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for our great worship team. I thank you for the people who serve so effectively and lovingly in this church. I pray that as we meet today at the start of a new year, an unknown year, I pray that you would speak to us. You'd help us, you'd encourage us, and you'd help us to see with a greater sense of clarity the things that we're to do and the things that we're to pursue. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's coming in. It's coming again! That way, fifteen, twenty feet tall. Easy. Boxing Day 2004. It was a 9.1 earthquake just offshore from Indonesia. There were people like in a place called Phuket. My daughter had been there about a year or so before for her honeymoon. About 20 minutes after the earthquake struck, a tidal wave hit Phuket. Tidal waves can be up to 30 metres high. They can travel at the same speed as a jet liner, 800 kilometres per hour. People never had a chance. The power of the earthquake was equivalent to about 23,000 Hiroshima um, atom bombs. And when that tidal wave hit, it changed the lives of people there forever. Over 4,000 people were killed in Phuket. And that tidal wave, or the effect of the earthquake, killed approximately 280,000 people 
in 14 countries. The reason I show you that this morning is that I want to say we live in a world with a tidal wave of change. And I want to talk to you this morning about a person who stood in a tidal wave of change, and that was Noah, the patron saint of the 21st century. And I want to show you how Noah not only survived, but did something incredible to create a new world, or for a new people, for a new world. So let's have a look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. And let's just read the verses here. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. And they married any one of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they're mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Next verse, please. The Lord regretted that... Okay. Um, I'll read from here. Um, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great men's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Sounds a bit like today, doesn't it? God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, etc., etc. So it sounds like it's a nice story to read our kids. Not so nice in some ways. But it, this story gives us an insight about somebody who faced a tidal wave of change and actually did something to deal with it. Look, over the last few years, over the last 30, 40, 30 to 40 years, we've seen some huge changes in our culture. There's not many good things about getting older, but about the only thing that's good about it is it gives you perspective on things that have happened and things that are happening today that I would have never dreamed about morally and ethically in my childhood. But even before that, back in the 19th century, did you realise that many farmers stridently protested the steam locomotive, claiming that the locomotive's noise would prevent their chickens from laying eggs and their cows from giving milk. Over the 19th century, other, other 19th century critics of the Industrial Age warned that travelling faster than 20 miles an hour over extended periods of time caused one to go mad. And when I look around at the culture, this guy said in my weaker moments, I think they may have been right. <laughs> so, my watch has more computer power than Apollo 11 used in the first moon landing in 1969. 
1969, there were four websites, believe it or not. Um, in 1990, there were 333,000 approximately. By 1997, there were 20 million websites. How many there are today? Just about everyone has got their own website today. It took 40 years for radio to reach 50 million visitors, 14 years for TV, four years for the internet. We live in a world of colossal change, a tidal wave of change is coming. You go to the warehouse, welcome to the 21st century, it's cheap, it's a bargain, you can put it on your card, it's never found in the same aisle twice, and it's usually made in China and has a very life, short lifespan, and there's a fantastic Boxing Day sale. That's the world of the 21st century. Do you know that um, people are saying in the United States now that you, don't, you can choose the gender of your child when they're born, or they can wait later on and now choose the gender of their child. Now, we know that's nonsense, but that would never have been even suggested 10 years ago, maybe not most sane people. I took my wife into the BNZ recently, and I do, I do a lot of our stuff, so she's a teacher and she's pretty busy. So I took her into the bank and we had to do something in there. And um, she hadn't been there for a while. And they've got these new automatic tellers, you know. There's no person you can talk to. It's got these machines and you stick something in there and it counts all your checks and all the rest of it. And she was disgusted because <laughs> she likes talking to people. Now, it's not so long ago when you went into a bank to do a deposit, you had a little slip of paper you had to fill in. Remember that? Those of you who are over about 35, remember that? And we live in a world of quantum change, tidal wave of change. If you look at what's happening in Europe, the Muslim migrant invasion of Europe, that is going to have huge implications for what's happening in Europe and what's happening in our country as well. It's a tidal wave of change. And we're all caught up in it. Tell me, do you, do you feel overwhelmed at times? Does it concern you? Some of the moral and ethical stuff should concern you. Does it excite you? Some of the things excite me. I love using my iPhone. and You know, it's just incredible. You can look up websites all over the world. You're sitting in the car waiting for an appointment as I do, and I'm busy planning stuff, and it's just great. Look, there's three things we can do to this. We can deny it, which is pretty impossible to do. We can resist it, and there are some people that resist change. I think we need another screen up there. Bradley, we can resist it. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, or we can hoist the sails and go for a glorious ride. And there are lots of people that try and resist stuff. And uh, you've heard of the Luddites. Have you never heard of the Luddites? They were a group of people that tried to resist the industrial age. And so they resisted any change at all. And you've got people like the Amish, who are kind of locked into a um, 1860s or whatever, kind of, they don't use any modern technology. Or, instead of resisting it, we can hoist the sails and say, what are we going to do? So, go back, you're far too far ahead. Can you go back, 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 back? That's way at the end. <laughs> So, the most defining question for the church, if you can find that one, is what to do about the future. Because we're facing a world of change. What are we going to do as a church? How are we going to prepare for it? What are we going to do? What's God got in terms of the answer? Because in many ways, as a church, we are called to be countercultural. 
We're called to be different. We're called to offer something that is different than the world offers today. If you were in that tsunami wave in Phuket, whether you're a Christian or not, you're all caught up in the same wave, the same issues for everybody. And in our culture, they're the same issues. And people, there are so many people in our culture who are becoming more and more confused. They don't know what the truth is. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to find out stuff or whatever. Where do you find out the truth, the reality? How do you cope with it? And I believe that the church has a place, a significant part in that we can be a beacon of light in a world where people are wondering what on earth is going on. In America, there was so much pressure to have gender-neutral toilets. And so you could, there no men's, women's toilets. And so there are places, there are shops there where men could walk into women's toilets. How would you feel about that if you were a 10-year-old girl? When there's so much social pressure, how do you stand against that when it seems like the media is brainwashing everyone that that's the right thing to do? How do you stand against it? Well, as Christians, we need to find a way because we are rampant. We are countercultural. In Noah's day, there was rampant individualism, rampant evil, and God had been resisting, trying to speak to the culture of his day. So it's interesting about Noah. We know that he had this revelation from God to build an ark. You imagine, we read the story and it seems so simple. Yeah, okay, God, you've told me to build an ark. Put yourself in Noah's shoes for about two minutes. That, if you ask me to build a boat, a 20-foot boat, and I've got modern tools, <laughs> I'd throw my hands up in despair. He was asked to build an ark, a ship of the size that had never been built before. Don't you think these thoughts went through his mind? God, look, there's a, some more simple solution. Why don't you just have a revival? Why don't you just send the power of your Holy Spirit down and just zap all these people. Why don't we have a few resurrections or something that's absolutely amazing so these people will turn back to you? Why are you making me do the hard thing? Don't you think some of those words, thoughts went through Noah's mind at the time? God, there's got to be a better way. I don't even know how to build a boat. I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't. And I think some ways we look for the easy way in churches as well. So what did he do? Well, he knew a tidal wave of change was coming and he built a new vessel, the ark, to carry the new people of God into a new world. Now, let's have a look at Noah. What kind of person was he? Well, Genesis 6, 8, he said, said he was a righteous man, a man blameless in his time. That tells me something about how Noah acted in terms of the world that he lived in. Peter 2, 5, it said he was a preacher of righteousness. So let's say, let's list a number of things about Noah and then let's have a look at what he did in terms of how to cope with what was happening. Well, he wasn't what I call a wingdinger, a religious nutter. Now, he was respected in his time and he had credibility. Now, let, get, give me, give, let me give you an example of the sort of thing that I think is kind of left field. I was in a church in, in Christchurch one day, it wasn't this church, and um, the guy I knew, he was, a, he was a leader. And he stood up in front of the church and he said, next year we're going to take Christchurch for Jesus. And everyone said, yeah, yeah, you know, the 
you know, all yelling and carrying on. And I thought, how stupid. If I'd asked that guy, what was his plan to grow the church by 10% the next year, he wouldn't have had a clue. Now, if we went, if you came with me to a person who had an acre and a half of, of land, and that acre and a half of land was just a wasteland, and that person said to us, he said, he said, I'm going to have the best garden in Christchurch. And, you know, his eyes were ablaze, and you could see he was really enthusiastic about his dream. And you said to him, okay, well, um, what are you going to do? When are you going to start developing it? What are your plans for developing it? What kind of trees are you going to put in? What kind of flowers? And he said to you, I've got no, no, I've got no idea. I haven't even thought about that. What would you think? You think he's just a dreamer without any sense of reality of what the challenge would take. No, it wasn't like that. He not only had a dream, a vision, but he had a plan to do it. The second thing about Noah, he didn't compromise his witness. He was described as a preacher of righteousness. It's pretty hard to maintain a consistent Christian witness in a world where everyone around you seems to hold different views. I mean, I work with a bunch of non-Christians, and I know the attitudes that they have to women, etc., etc., and to drugs and stuff. It's pretty hard at times when you are in a minority to maintain a constant, consistent witness. But it can be done because Noah did it. Okay, So he didn't compromise his witness. The third thing is he had a framework of truth out of which to live. That's why he was so strong. And fourthly, his life tells me that he had the reins of his life in his hands. Because you couldn't have done what he did unless he knew the truth and lived out of it. Okay, three things that Noah did. First of all, he accepted change as an invitation from God. And we're in a world of change, whether we like it or not. And we can see God's hand in it or say, tut, tut, I don't want to have a part of that. But we can say to God, look, why don't you just send a revival? It'll be far easier. And of course it would. <laughs> I've been in a revival situation. I went to Pensacola. Wouldn't it be great if it just happened here? But the reality is it might not. We can look for the easy way and hope it'll happen. But the reality is it probably won't. The second thing that Noah did is he honoured his mission. Now, a mission is... We have that up, please. Is a short statement of an organization's purpose identifying the scope of its operations. Okay, all churches have the same mission. They may have slightly different words. Our mission is to preach the gospel, of going to the world and preach the gospel. That's our mission. To take the good news of Jesus, how he died on the cross for our sins and rose again physically from the dead, and how he can save us and we can have eternal life with him. That is our mission, to take those, that truth into our workplaces, into our world. The second, the, third, the, the second thing that um, Noah had, and this is, I believe this is a key, he had a vision for the future and lived out of his God-given division. It defined him, it motivated him, and it kept him on track. Now, vision is an inspirational description of what an organization would like to achieve or accomplish in the midterm or long-term future. It's intended to serve as a clear guide for choosing current and future courses of action. Now, interesting. A vision, in a sense, is our sail. 
He picks up the wind of God's Spirit and takes us forward. We know where we're going. So, what's our vision for the future? What's your vision for the future? Same old, same old? Or does God have something different? Because if you don't have a vision for where you want to go, how are you going to get anywhere different? See what I'm saying? Let's have a look at Noah's vision. It was God-given, and it was totally unexpected. God-given and totally unexpected. It came out of left field. But it was a God-given vision. Every one of you here is made in the image of God. Every one of you has a specific purpose to play. What's your vision? It wasn't fulfilled in five minutes. No, it wasn't easy. And I believe any vision that God gives us will come with a challenge that will grow and develop us individually and as a church. His vision framed his life and his existence of his, or the existence of his family. I also want to say this, that his vision had a foundation. When he built the ark, he built it on a foundation. Our foundation is the word of God. Without a foundation, he couldn't have built the ark. Our foundation for everything we do must be the word of God. And the other thing about Noah's vision is it progressively developed. Now, he started with a foundation. And then, if you build anything, you've got to build it in blocks. And that took a long time. So he kind of knew where he was going. Nothing ad hoc, nothing left to chance. It was planned. And because it was planned, it happened. If you aim at nothing, what are you going to get? Nothing. Exactly. It's interesting. When you start talking about vision and mission, so many churches and leadership often confused about the difference. Okay? Now, one of the other, one of the things he Noah had goals, he had small ones, and he had big ones. And you can, you can think through the whole thing and just think of how it must have happened. An impossible dream, yes. And maybe somebody's sitting here this morning with an impossible dream. Maybe it's of God. Let's have a look at another one. The vision had an observable reality. You imagine Noah and his team building the ark and people coming along and saying, How are you today, Mr. Noah? Still building this ark? You're really telling me that the world's going to flood? Don't see any rain. It was an observable reality that defined Noah. Let me ask you a question. What is the observable reality by which Christians are to be known? What is the thing by which we are to be known? Jesus said, the world will know your disciples by your love for one another. It's the only observable reality that he gave us. Not buildings, not auditoriums, not radio shows, TV shows, or whatever, by our love for one another. How well are we known for that? You see, this is where it's so critical that we look seriously at what we're doing. The vessel that God is building today that's going to take a new people 
into a new world is the church. How's our love for one another? Can I speak honestly here? I've been coming to the church for a while now. That's great. There's aspects of it I really love. But you know, it's, it's, if I was 20 and in a miniskirt and a female, it'd be great. Everyone would, everyone, particularly anyone under 25, would want to know me. When you're perceived to be single because my wife goes to another church and you're a male, it's a little bit different. And I know some of you will probably identify with what I'm saying. We need to look for ways of developing the love in our community of God's people. Does that make sense? Because that's ultimately what we're going to be judged by. That's the observable thing that Jesus said. We're going to be known by our love for one another. Okay. Right, let's move on. So, Noah's vision would have raised a lot of questions. <laughs> People would have asked, what are you doing that for? Why are you doing it? All these things. How long is it going to take? Are you going to have a holiday? You can't tell me that God's there and, you know. What we do as a church needs to uh, raise questions. And I know Don's stuff is raising questions about because he's doing stuff in the community. It's raising questions. People are asking, why are you doing this? And that's really a sign of what God's doing. Yeah. I mean, when I went to Pensacola, there were, um, before we came, there were people lining up for two days, flying all over the world, but predominantly coming from the States, non-Christians. Because the whole issue of what God did there raised questions. People wanted to find out. Yeah. When they found out, God... Touch them. Right, I'm looking at my watch there, Roberts. <laughs> you can relax. Um, we've got to be counterculture. We offer something that's a little bit different. So what's our vision? What are we doing? We're caught up in this tidal wave of change. What are our plans for reaching people that are not Christians, that are caught up in the wave and are concerned as well and don't know the answers? What are our plans for that? So Noah listened. He acted. He wanted to be part of the answer, not part of the problem, and that's what I want to be. I want to tell you a secret here. When you get to heaven, you will not be judged by the amount of um, experiences of God that you've had. You'll be judged by the work that you've done. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 3. You'll be judged by the work that you've done. Okay? So you may say, look, oh, this sounds uh, pretty challenging. It's fine for younger people. They've got more energy than I've got. Do you know how old Noah was? 500 years. Age is no excuse. Now, I'm not quite that mic. You can relax. Um, age has nothing to do with the ability to do something. If you go into the Old Testament, Caleb, you look at his age and what he did. The, the ability to, to change and to adapt and to do something different has to do with the wineskins, not the age. Older people can be as adaptable and flexible or more adaptable and flexible than younger people. So, yeah. One person said the church is bursting at the seams with rationality, decency, order, dignity, and predictability. I'd say amen to that. What, what it needs is a holy intoxication, intoxication of foolishness, humour, craziness, outrageousness, creative disorder, and passion. <laughs> that make sense? Yeah. Do you hear any... Okay, so we need a plan too. And I hear people here saying, I don't plan, I just trust the Lord. Can I pop a balloon here? 
That's a spiritual cop-out. Look, why are you afraid of your own choices? Does God plan? Of course he does. He planned your salvation before creation of the world. That's what the Bible tells us. Do you realize that you're made in his image? So if he planned, you can plan, and you can act. Does God think you are so incompetent that you actually can't make decisions yourself? No, he doesn't, because he's made you in his image. So, Christians, we are called to be people of decision. We make decisions. Sure, we're guided by God's Spirit. So, let's have a look at Noah's incredible achievement. He had a commitment to God's future. He believed in a better future. He had a framework, a vision. He knew where he was going. He had a plan. I'm sure he had a one-year, two-year, five-year, and a hundred-year plan. And that's why he achieved it. So you need big goals, you need little goals. So my question is, this morning, where are you heading? What have you got planned for this year? Where's the church heading? What's God doing? What are our plans? If we want to hang on to the past, we're going to drown in it. So it's critical that we have a vision of what God has for us. Helen Keller, you want to put that up, said the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. I think that's the most, one of the most perceptive comments that I have ever read. Only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. So we need to have a vision. We need to accept that the present will be radically different from the future. Well, the future will be radically different to the present. I mean, do you want the church to be the same at the end of the year as now? Or do you want it to be radically different? Yeah. We want it to be different. We're going to be running a couple of services at least. Yeah. How are we going to get there? We need to plan. We need to put things in place. We need to have a vision of what we're going to achieve. You see, truth doesn't change, but everything else does. You know, a very fascinating thing about water you can have a hundred different vessels for water, all different shapes and sizes. Water retains the same property whatever vessel you put it in. So whatever we do here, whatever structure it is or whatever, the truth of God's Spirit, the water of God's Spirit, or the God's Spirit, whatever, will retain the same properties. Isn't that exciting? I think it's amazing. So structure in some ways is not important, but it is. Okay, so the word is out, reinvent yourself or die. And some would rather die than change. <laughs> okay, let's listen to this comment. It's not been easy for the church to make change, but Jesus did not call us to the easy, live easily or painlessly. All discovery, every birth is disorderly, ragged and messy. Death is neat and orderly, but birth is slimy, sweaty, oozing primordial juices and elements. Change is messy, never neat. Change is not premeditated. Change is not followed precise predetermined or rational roots. We live in a world of quantum changes, of macro change, the whole world is changing, and we aren't. We are, we are going to change. So you can see why Noah is a patron saint for Christians of the 21st century. Build a new vessel for a new people, for a new future. And that's what we're going to do. So that's why I say the power of one. It only takes one person. And that person can be dangerous. So... I want to make some suggestions. First of all, if you're not a Christian here this morning, it might seem a little bit confusing about what I'm saying, but that's okay. 
And can we have that picture of the boat up, please? Um, like Noah, Noah preached about the coming judgment. The Bible talks about the coming judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. If you're on a journey here this morning and you're looking for answers, you'll find them in Jesus. He died to save you from the coming judgment of God. Well, I'm bored. Not a moment too soon by the look of that old tub. Next one. Yes, yes, Titanic. The world systems may look pretty appealing, but where they're going to take you, not a nice place to be. So if you're searching this morning, ask the right people, find out the truth, commit yourself to it, and join God's people. Okay, if you're a Christian, what I want you to do is pray for holy dissatisfaction. Now, I want to clarify that, and why I call it holy dissatisfaction is this. All of us can be dissatisfied, and that dissatisfaction can turn to criticism, and it can be destructive, and we don't want any of that in the church. A holy dissatisfaction helps us to, uh, to reach out to God for what he has for us. We're dissatisfied with what we've got, and therefore it's like being thirsty. You want to drink more water. A holy dissatisfaction says, look, God's got far more for me. He's got far more for our church. We should want to find it. Now that's not being critical. It's not being destructive. It's simply reaching out for, for what God has. Does that make sense? Yeah. Secondly, open your hearts to God. The world was transformed because God took ordinary people in the past and used them to change the world. You think of Whitfield who was responsible for revivals. You think of William Booth, who started the Salvation Army. One man had a vision, had a dream. He acted on it and changed the world, changed the lives of countless, countless people worldwide. William Wilberforce, who got rid of slavery. Same thing, the power of one. The power of one. One person can make a difference for a whole generation. And we need to pray as a church. We need to pray that we're going to be like Abraham, who decided to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he became the father of many nations. That's what we need to be like. So if you have a dream, be bold. Can you put up that slide, please, there, Bradley? Be bold. The desire for safety, you know, the one before that. The desire for safety. No, is it after that? Okay. There we are. Desire for safety stands against every great and virtuous dream. Security, many times, is the first step towards stagnation. Boldness and vision is the first, second, and third most important thing. If you dare nothing, you should expect nothing. And as people of faith, when we step out in faith, it's stepping out into the unknown. Mark Twain said this. He said, 20 years from now... You will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbour, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. My question to you is, what does God have for us in the future? If we have that vision, we put it in place, we write it down, and we put steps in place. What could happen in the church here? I want to finish with... Quite a touching, funny story, and I hope you'll appreciate this for what it is. 
It's a funny story of a boy and a girl at the conclusion of their film. The musicians want to come up now. Funny story of a boy and a girl at the conclusion of their first date. Standing under the porch light of the girl's front door, the boy looked at her and said, Can I kiss you? The girl smiled demurely and said nothing. The boy tried again. I mean, may I kiss you? Again, the girl smiled and said nothing. Are you deaf, the boy added. The girl replied, are you paralysed? <laughs> what are we waiting for? Thanks, team. Thank you, Alex. Will you stand with us and we're going to finish with one final song. Chosen, I am free. I am living for eternity. Free now, forever. You pick me up, turn me around. You set my feet on solid ground. Yours now, forever. And nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back. Nothing's gonna hold me back My chains off, my heart was free I'm allowed to live for you I'm allowed to live for you Amazing love, how dare you be You gave everything for me You gave everything for me you wash my sin and shame away. The slate is clean, a brand new day. Free now forever. Now boldly I approach the throne to claim this crown. 